welcome to the Save with Sex podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan L., pleasure scholar and creative mother of the Muses Lab. Together, we journey through sex, pleasure, and the erotic as it relates to our relationships, spirit, self, and our overall human experience. I'm elated to be your guide on this adventure. So grab your tools of pleasure, ground, and let's go. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Say It With Sex podcast. I am your host, Siobhan L., and thank you for tuning in. I am hoping that this is the money shot (laughs) because I have tried to record this episode five times. (laughs) So hopefully this is the money shot and hopefully this is the one that's going to, that's going to be it, that that this is it, right? (laughs) Um, I... So in the the latter episodes, maybe I'll do like a bloopers, not on, not audio, but you got to follow me on Instagram to get the behind the scenes. <laughs> so I thought about, as I was preparing for um, this, this week's episode, I thought about um, the series Truth Be Told, which is on Apple TV with Octavia Spencer. She's amazing in this uh, role as Poppy Scoville. And she has a podcast. She has a journalistic podcast and it's scripted, right? And I thought to myself, self, do you need a script? (laughs) Because everything that I have done from a podcasting perspective, just everything I've done in general, but from a podcasting perspective, everything is unscripted. So this is an unscripted podcast. I tried to be perfect and perfect was one of the reasons why it took me so long to do a podcast in the first place. So now I've allowed myself to just be in this space and be authentically as myself unscripted. And if you have a scripted podcast, perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. But for me, right? It's just easier for me to be unscripted because it allows me to be as authentic as possible. And even probably share some things like behind the scenes things that most people probably would not share, but for me, it allows me to live in my truth. So I just thought about that. Like maybe I should have a scripted episode one day, who knows? But for me, things having um, not as much structure per se, but being free flowing works for me. Like agility and being nimble and flow works for me because I'm in a flow state. So everything in and around me must flow, right? I had that on my mind, wanted to share that. So at the time of this recording, it is March 5th. Too bad I didn't record this on March 4th because I could have been like March 4th, right? March 4th, somebody will get it. (laughs) But it's March 5th at uh, the day of this recording. And it is Endometriosis Awareness Month. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. If you are watching this podcast, it would have been cute if I had on some yellow, but it's it's fine. <laughs> maybe I, it's it's March all month, right? So the, this is the month of March. So maybe I'll have on yellow in another episode to represent Endometriosis Awareness Month. But shameless plug, have my first speaking engagement with a nonprofit that is near and dear to my heart, Indo-Black, on March 25th in Oxon Hill, Maryland. I will be a panelist on the Relationship, Sex, and Endometriosis panel, talking about my experiences with endometriosis, 
sex and how I have navigated this terrain, being a person with stage four endometriosis. So um, I'll have the link to the event in the show notes if you would like to attend. It would be great. Um, I'm starting to get comfortable meeting people. We are still in a COVID climate. The pandemic isn't over. (laughs) Just because y'all say it is. (laughs) Shout out to Heb. (laughs) The pandemic pandemic isn't over just because you say it is, right? We're still in a pandemic, but um, finding a new normal in this, right? And I would love to meet um, community while I'm there. So March 25th, the third annual Indo-Black Conference in Oxon Hill, Maryland. I will be there on a panel, Relationship, Sex, and Endometriosis, right? Which kind of segues into what this episode is, sex, endometriosis, and being in your 40s, right? Because I have embraced being in my 40s. Some people are like, oh my God, I didn't want to tell anybody I'm 40. I don't even look like I'm 40. So I'm all, <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> I'm in it, right? And I think about that often. Like every time endometriosis month, awareness month comes around, I think about my relationship with sex. My lack thereof, not by my, not by my choice, by happenstance. I'm not choosing to be abstinent. <laughs> it just ain't no available penis. <laughs> it's not my choice. This is happenstance, right? But I think about that. I think about my relationship with sex and my journey to sex. And I feel like I may have talked about this in a previous episode. You should go back and listen and find out if, and if I did. <laughs> but my relationship with sex, it, it wasn't rocky. It was just interesting, right? Because we talk about how this generation of youth is over-sexualized, right? And not to say that's wrong, right? Not to say that is wrong, but I believe that even my generation, I'm an older millennial or Gen Xer, whoever you ask, a younger Gen Xer, older millennial, depends on who you ask, right? But I believe that our generation, we were always doing nasty things. We just was doing them in the dark, right? This generation or generations, the younger generations, they are all in the light and they are unapologetic about it. <laughs> and this is who they are. And you either gonna like it or you're not. You're gonna <laughs> keep it moving, right? Whatever you choose, you're gonna keep it. You're gonna move with it or you're gonna move without it, right? That's where they at. And I think because they're so front facing with things, it comes off as if they are being over-sexualized, but really we was kind of doing them saying things when we were younger, but here we are, right? And I remember um, I had sex early in age. I will not say that I lost my virginity because there's no such thing as virginity because a woman's value is not based on her ability to abstain or not be touched, <laughs> Right? That's not what this is about, right? But I I was an early bloomer as far as sex is concerned. It was consensual and it was with someone in my age bracket, not an 18 or 19 year old. It was someone who was in my age bracket, right? So I was 16 when I had my first sexual experience. And, you know, my friends at the lunch table kind of hyped me up because they had experienced sex already and it was great and it was fun. And your body like, girl, you want to come? Coming is great because we didn't talk about orgasms then because we didn't know about that, right? When you're in your youth, you don't really know about orgasms and all the other things that happens during sex, right? It's just stimuli. Like sex is just stimuli when you you are younger and you are exploring. Sex is an adventure, right? And then as a vulva owner, you realize that other men slash penis owners are just using your body as cum socks and you are a conquest and they want to control you, right? And you have to 
to learn that you learn later or you need to uh, be aware that pussy is power. And I believe that's why our elders were so hell-bent on us abstaining from sex when we were younger because pussy is power. Pussy has started wars, ended wars, ended lives. <laughs> it gives life. <laughs> Pussy is power, right? And if you don't understand the power between your thighs, shout out to Jill Scott. If you don't know what lies in between your thighs, you will wield it incorrectly. And there are reverberating repercussions, not only to yourself, but to other people involved. So you really have to be attuned to your power. Should you be removed from it? Absolutely not. Should you be attuned to it? Absolutely, right? So we didn't know how much power for real we had with with pussy, right? With our vaginas, with our vulvas. We didn't know that. So you kind of just move haphazardly with sex, trying to explore and understand how this works for your body. And the first time I had sex, I was super underwhelmed. Like I, the way they, the way my friends described coming, it was, I was looking for this earth shattering, my body moving. Ugh. I was looking for all of that. And I got none of that. It was whack. <laughs> I mean, the sex wasn't that bad because I couldn't compare what was whack and what wasn't because I'd never experienced it before. But this description of coming I didn't get that. And I tried it again with the same person a couple of times. And I just wanted more from him. Even the, the amount of time we spent hunching and pumping and all that other stuff, it wasn't, it wasn't there. And I remember, as I'm talking about it, I'm sorry to recall, I remember one, one of the last times we had said, I remember starting to feel some type of stimuli and he came right before I can even get a grasp or grip on what that was. <laughs> and I ended up using my latter teen years into like my mid-20s exploring. Some people call that shit a whole phase, but... <laughs> I ended up exploring, like I needed to know what I, I was so curious. What was this earth shattering, body shivering, body shaking coming that everyone was talking about that I wasn't experiencing? And I started to think maybe something was wrong with me because why is everybody else coming and I'm not? <laughs> what is it about me? That's not, why is my body not coming or orgasming? Like, well, let me take a step back. Coming and orgasming are not the same thing. Coming is when your body ejaculates, right? Because female ejaculation exists. Squirting is different. Squirting exists, but female ejaculation exists, right? It's not pee. It's not anything. Your body ejaculates, right? That's when you come. Orgasm is a full body experience. It is almost. It is also an, an, an emotional experience. It is, depending on how deep, a soul bursting experience, but orgasm is full body. It's immersive, right? When you come, you come. Just like men just come, right? Penis shoots out sperm. Bloop, bloop. You come, right? The vagina does the same thing, right? This female ejaculation exists, right? 
So I don't want to confuse the two. During my younger years in exploration, the focus was on coming. <laughs> I want to come, right? I want to come. I want to I want to feel something. I want to have, I want to know that we ended, that we completed a mission. And I sought that out. And I sought that to take, sought to take back my power. Because I started to realize that men didn't give a shit about my pleasure. I started to realize that sex, they were finishing and I wasn't. And I wanted to finish. So how do I guarantee that I finish? I learned how to ride. And you could argue with me if you want. But I feel like in sex, you should have a thing. Thing that you're known for, right? Some people are known for amazing head. Some people are known for that that throat grip, right? Not my ministry. Some people are known for that. Some people are known for the, you know, the pussy grip, you know, the muscles, the badge, that type of grip. You ride a certain way, the way you take penetration a certain way. Like some people are just known for certain things in sex, certain tools and modalities and experiences. That's just their thing. That's their shtick, right? Mine was riding. I learned how to ride. Because at that time, I wasn't giving head. Not that I didn't want to give head. I just, it wasn't resonating with me. And I didn't feel compelled to do that with the other gentlemen that I had been in uh, arrangement, in sexual arrangements and engagements with, right? So I learned how to ride. And riding became my thing. It was very immersive. I can recall in my little studio apartment, when I lived in Atlanta, I went to school in Georgia. Shout out to Clark Lane University. I went to school in Georgia and Atlanta. And I remember in my little peach tree road <laughs> studio apartment <laughs> on peach tree road. I remember in my little studio apartment being on top. Ah, the moonlight coming through my window. Ooh. Or maybe it was the parking lot light. <laughs> but I'm going to say it was the moonlight kind of shining through my window. My bed adjacent to the window and the gentleman lying on the bed and me on top and my hips just moving, finding a rhythm. We talk about central movement a lot. And I think that's what central movement artists mean by sinking into your body losing yourself in the rhythm. And I remember doing that. I remember gripping, getting that grip, getting that grip and getting that motion and finding alignment and finding the rhythm in that. And it just, it felt good. I lost myself in that. I wasn't worrying about whether the man was moaning or how, loud or high he might have been moaning the octaves he may have been reaching how he was holding and gripping my body and grabbing my hips I wasn't thinking about any of that I was just so attuned to the rhythm in my body the alignment in my body it was magical it was ritual talk about sex magic another day but if you are thinking about sex magic that's the energy that you want. And you think about orgasming and that breath, right? Deep orgasm is in the breath. And you're breathing. 
your breathing is in tune with your hips and your hips are in tune with your thighs and your body is just in alignment. That is the most aligned with my body that I probably have ever been riding penis. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it was a thing. And that was my thing. And that's what I became known for. <laughs> a good ride. Well, anyone who actually told somebody that they did it with me. Because what I learned is that when you're good at something and it's unique, People don't want to tell everybody. They want to keep it to themselves. So a lot of people kept me secret and they kept it to themselves for various reasons, but definitely because, you know, you don't, particularly with men, men don't want their other friends or whomever to be experiencing the same thing that they're experiencing. They want unique experiences. That's why uh, cis hetero men are always talking about, oh, you got to be nasty, but you got to have like minimal bodies unrealistic but that's just how niggas be thinking right <laughs> anyway that was the beginning of my relationship with sex right but I also recall when I would be on the bottom we're talking missionary uh, I would recall when I was on the bottom it would be painful Men would always try to reach the cervix, which is not okay. I need you not to touch my cervix. <laughs> I had two thoughts at the same time. <laughs> I, said, I need you not to touch my cervix, right? And for vulva owners who think that is okay, right? So I want to acknowledge that pleasurable pain is a king, right? And I, I acknowledge that there are persons who, for pain in certain situations, that's their thing, right? Acknowledging that, not shaming that. If that is not your kink, do not feel like you need to be a superhuman and take an enlarged penis all the way up your vagina canal, hitting your cervix, because that is messing with the organs in your body, right? That's pain that reverberates and it has repercussions. I didn't know that then. I know that now. I did not know that then. Sex, unless that is what you want, should not be painful. It should be enjoyable. That's why we have things like lube, toys, because sex is supposed to be enjoyable. It is not just stimuli to satiate the arousal in your body. You are supposed to enjoy sex. It's not just for you to birth babies and be fruitful and multiply. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable. I don't give a shit what any of these people say. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable for both people involved, not just one. So if you are engaging in sex and you are not enjoying yourself, leave pivot, walk away, push it, push them all because you deserve all the pleasure in the world, specifically in sex. Just in case somebody needed that. So I remember pushing men, giving, giving themselves, giving myself space. Give me, give me a couple inches, give me 18 inches. 
right? Because you're close. Give me, give me a couple inches. You're too deep. And I, I started to feel inadequate in so many ways. The power that I had when I would be on top would be semi-deflated when I was on the bottom because the pain that I felt with men going too hard with me made me feel like I wasn't strong enough to take it. God, that shit is not okay. (laughs) That's not okay. Like, you don't have to be strong enough to take it. You don't. Sex is supposed to be comfortable. If you want sex to be comfortable, sex is supposed to be comfortable. If you want it to be a little painful pleasure, that's your choice. But overall, sex is supposed to be comfortable. So don't ever allow someone to make you feel like because you can't take the dick that you're an inadequate partner. That's a lie. So as I was discovering this pain simultaneously, I was waking up in pain, separate from sex. I recall twice me going to the hospital in excruciating pain, learning that I had cysts on my ovaries, my left ovary to be specific, and being put on birth control. No one thought that I might have endometriosis. No one explored differently, checked patterns, my health patterns. No one did any of that. Hysterectomies running my family on the maternal side. My mother's had a hysterectomy. My grandmother's had a hysterectomy. My great-great-grandmother's had a hysterectomy. No one asked. Wasn't even thought of, right? So if a feminine spectrum person, if a vulva owner has history of hysterectomies in their family, particularly on their maternal side, I want to go check that out. No one thought to check it out. Put me on birth control. I was on birth control from 2001, right after 9-11, to 2014. In between there, there was something that I noticed that I put to the back of my mind. 2008, my menstrual cycle normally lasted three to five days, right? Three to five days came every 21 to 28 days, depending on what I got going on in my life, might be 30, right? Pretty regular. So I thought. This one time, I had my menstrual cycle for six weeks. And I had my normal flow for the three to five days, but I kept spotting. I was also under extreme stress, so I just chalked it up to stress. I had got laid off from my job, and I was trying to secure employment. I've been in survival mode for a very long time. So I just figured I was stressed. In college, I had missed periods, but I was also under an ex- under extreme stress when I was in college. So I just chalked it up to, to stress, and I didn't think anything of it. From 2018 to 2014, everything seems okay until those elongated periods come back again. I remember having my menstrual cycle regular time, it stopped briefly, and then it started again, and I was spotting. Six weeks, 
this not okay. Let me go to the doctor. And at that time, I had reintegrated myself back into the healthcare system. Prior to that, I had very wild experiences <laughs> with gynecologists, getting pap smears. It was so uncomfortable for me. I've been misdiagnosed with other diseases that I didn't even have. And it was just like a really wild experience for me. So I reacclimated myself back into the gynecological world and I found me a gynecologist and her and I talked about certain things. She had an idea of what it could be, but of course, let me do my due diligence and run tests. I say this was like March when this happened, ironically. <laughs> this is like March 2020, 2014 when that happened. From March to late April, I went through testing. Series of tests, CAT scans, ultrasounds, transvaginal ultrasounds, MRIs, all of that. I found out that I had two endometrial masses on my ovary, one on the left and one on the right. Surgery, right? Have to because you're not supposed to have nothing on your ovaries. The masses were the size of strawberry. That's huge. Your ovaries, if, if, you, if you are a vulva owner and you have never seen a picture of ovaries, ovaries are so small. <laughs> They're so tiny. They're like, what, the size, almost a little bit larger than an edamame? Like, they're just so tiny, right? Google <laughs> Google reproductive organs. Your ovaries are tiny, right? So something the size of a strawberry on your ovary is like stressing it the hell out, right? Time to go in, have the surgery, get it done. Here's the thing. When I went to go have surgery, my doctor went inside to do an invasive laparotomy, which is typically what you have when you're going to find out whether or not you have endometriosis or not. But no one talked to me about endometriosis. I have friends who've had endometriosis for years and they said to me that I probably would have endometriosis, but I was like, my doctor never said anything to me about it. So it's probably not it. They told me this years prior to this. This is like a decade in the making at this point over a decade in the making at this point. Go in to do the laparotomy. My bowel had wrapped around my uterus and wrapped so far around my uterus and my pelvic cav cavity that they couldn't find my reproductive organs. And because they couldn't find my reproductive organs, because my bowel had wrapped around and covered everything, they couldn't go through with the surgery. On top of my bowel were adhesions. And if you are not familiar with endometriosis, I encourage you to do your research. But if you are familiar with endometriosis, you know adhesions are is the key, right? I've never had surgery before. And typically adhesions tend to happen if you don't have endometriosis with scar tissue. Those that typically um, incites adhesions outside of endometriosis. So I had adhesions all around my bowel, adhesions all around my uh, endometrium, my endometrium, that area, adhesions all over the place. Remember my timeline. 
First time I was in the hospital was 2001. I had cysts on my ovaries. Put me on birth control. I've been on birth control from 2001 to 2014. By the time I had that laparotomy in 2014, I was already stage four endometriosis. That is so jarring to, for someone to hear, right? And the thing with endometriosis is that no matter what stage you're in, your experience is always going to be different. Some people are stage one endometriosis and have excruciating pain. Outside of sex, I never had any other type of pain besides my ovaries, right? So I spent my formative years with my menstrual cycle, having debilitating cramps, having really heavy periods, right? So if you have debilitating cramps and you have heavy periods, that's not normal. You should go see your gynecologist. But I spent my formative years as a menstruating person with those symptoms, which are not okay, right? Your menstrual cycle is your menstrual cycle, but if you're having debilitating cramps, if you're nauseous, if you can't eat, if you're losing your appetite, if you're overly fatigued, if you're feeling depressed, if you're having heavy periods where you you almost have to free bleed, right? Because the pads are not helping you, that's not okay. Nobody told me that. Sex ed doesn't tell you that. You don't learn that in health class. You learn that through experience. So here I was. In 2014, I was 33 years old. That was my Jesus year. Here I am, 2014, learning that I have stage four endometriosis. I had three surgeries that year. They were able to put my bowels back in place, put my reproductive organs back in place because the adhesions had plastered all of my reproductive organs into a ball inside my pelvic cavity. So I got referred to a specialist. They put everything back in place, got rid of the masses, found a fibroid, got rid of the fibroid. And I thought I was okay. Three years later, I had another surgery. That was 2017. Same situation happened again. All my organs plastered together in a ball. I had another endometrial mass. I had more fibroids, one blocking my uterus, sitting right above my cervix. So I had to have another surgery. And during that surgery, I, almost, I was almost unalive. I bled out in the OR. And they had to put me back on a robotic machine that they used to remove all the adhesions and the old endometrium and put everything back together. They had to put me back on the machine. But clearly I survived, right? Two years later, I had another surgery. Luckily this time my reproductive organs weren't plastered in the ball, but I had vaginal polyps and more fibroids and more adhesions. Each of those surgeries were considered reconstructive surgeries, meaning my uterus was being reconstructed every single time I had a laparotomy, a myomectomy. 
They put my uterus back together again. This world makes vulva owners feel like the value is in their womb. That if you do not have the ability to birth babies, that you are useless in this world. Regardless of whether it was my personal choice to want to have kids, to know that my womb was in dire straits, started to make me feel less feminine. And this was before I started saying with sex in the Muses Lab. And I believe that these creative babies that I birthed was to prove to myself that my womanhood, quotes, air quotes, <laughs> if you're watching this podcast, you're going to see these air quotes, my quote, end quote, womanhood, my quote, end quote, femininity, who I who I am, who I identify as a woman was not tied to me being able to push humans out of my vagina. That birth was not linear. That babies were not linear. That I could have metaphorical babies and be mother, the role of mother, the expression of mother to any and everything outside of things that came from my own physical womb. I believe subconsciously that was my way of creating my own baby. My last surgery was in 2022. 2014, 2017, 2019, 2022. You remember I had two, correct myself, I had two surgeries in 2014. So two surgeries in 2014, surgery in 2017, that's three, surgery in 2019, that's four, surgery in 2022, that's five. I've had five surgeries over the last eight years. And before my last surgery in 2022, in 2021, I learned that I was postmenopausal. And I remember in 2017, before I had that third surgery, I remember going to the nurse practitioner that I was working with at the time, with the specialist who did my my first myomectomy, letting her know that I was having hot flashes. And at that time, I was going through a spiritual awakening. So I was like, is this kundalini? <laughs> Am I going through a kundalini rising? Like, is, is this what this is? But I was like, let me rule out, right? Because in the spiritual world, we can think everything that's physically happening to our bodies is something spiritual or metaphysical. And that may not be true. You may be actually having like true health problems. And if you don't know how to discern and decipher between that, you'll fuck yourself up, right? So always rule out the scientific first before you assign it to something that is spiritual and metaphorical. So that was me. I didn't want to assume that I was having a kundalini awakening, right? But I'm having hot flashes, 
It's 2017. I'm 36. Why am I having hot flashes at 36? I'm Googling, because you know we become Google doctors these days. Perimenopause. Perimenopause is like premature menopause. Why am I going through pre-menature, premature menopause? Why am I going through menopause at all at 36? I'm not supposed to hit menopause until I'm like 50. I'm early. Let me talk to my doctor about this. So I talked to my nurse practitioner. She's like, oh, you're too early to be at menopause. No shit, bitch. I know this. (laughs) But I'm having hot flashes. And not just like, oh, I'm getting a little perspiry. I am breaking out into a full-on sweat for the longest 10 seconds of my life. Sweat is dripping down my face. Sweat is dripping down my armpits. Sweat is dripping down my thighs. My whole body is inflamed for 10 fucking seconds. And then it goes ice cold. Some ain't right. Oh, we're going to do tests. You'll be fine. We do tests. Everything comes back positive, right? Or negative. Everything comes back negative. No, we don't see anything, but you should consider going to a sperm bank and having a baby. Because people will tell you that pregnancy is the cure to endometriosis. It is not. It helps some people, but it is not a cure. Your pain does not automatically go away because you you pushed out a baby, right? So I was encouraged to go to a sperm bank. I was never encouraged to actually freeze my eggs, but I was encouraged to go to a sperm bank and just have a baby on my own. No baby daddy. Fuck my finances. (laughs) Just go have a baby. That's the cure. Go have a baby. Two years, I was encouraged to go have a baby. And I remember my period stopping right at the height of the pandemic. I remember my period stopping. I wanna say my last menstrual cycle was February, 2020. I had another menstrual cycle, July of 2020, July of 2020, August, September. I was the last time I had a menstrual cycle. Haven't had one since. The next year, I got with an endocrinologist. I was nervous. Something's off. I already knew I was pre-diabetic, but something's off. I was referred to another close friend of mine who was a nurse practitioner. You should go to an endocrinologist. Went to an endocrinologist. They did all the tests. I got my results back. Post-menopausal. Not pre, not menopause, post-menopausal at 40. Wasn't even 40 yet. was 39 in like five months. <laughs> 39 and a half. I hadn't even had my 40th birthday yet. But in 2021, I was tested and found that I was post-menopausal. And that's the scary thing because most men out here, they want to get married and have kids. (laughs) And here I am 
almost 40 at that time. Never had kids. Talked about being married. Single. And now, scientifically, because the divine is what it is, scientifically, I can't have children. Sure, you can adopt. I can be guardian to someone. I can be a foster mom. But most men like to leave legacies, right? Because the legacy really is held within the woman, right? You have your ancestry, your lineage is in your egg, right? So woman carries the ancestry. Woman actually carries the seed, right? Because the egg has to be fertilized. So the woman carries the seed, right? But for men, having legacy, having having children, a lineage is important to them. So the thought of knowing that I am the last of my lineage is some scary shit. I am my mother's only child. I'm not my father's only child. I am my father's oldest, but I am my mother's only child. And as much as my mother, my father, and my bonus mom want grandbabies, it just may not be for me. My father may get it from my brother. There's hope there. But me? Out of all my cousins, to my knowledge, on both sides of my family, paternal and maternal, those of us who are of age, I'm probably one of the only of my cousins to not have kids. All of my cousins have kids. Two, three, four. Some of my cousins are grandparents. I don't have any children. So while, you know, they've made like my my cousins, my aunts and my uncles proud with the extension of their family, here I am. In my 40s, stage four endometriosis, postmenopausal, no kids. I thought I was pregnant once. Didn't work. I wasn't looking to be pregnant, but I thought I might have been. And the way I had that whole face in college, <laughs> one would have thought. <laughs> but no, maybe my body was just protecting itself. Who knows? I can come up with a myriad of theories and analyses and, and things of that nature, but I it just didn't happen for me. And a lot of the gentlemen that I had my sexual engagements with back in those days, a lot of them got kids. It wasn't me though. I'm not the baby mama. <laughs> but I think about that often. I think about what it means for me to be stage four endometriosis, 40 and postmenopausal, and how that affects my relationship with uh, men, romantic relationships with men, I should say. What that means for me, it means being honest about my ability to produce children. Because again, most men want to have kids, regardless of what age they are. Most men want to have kids. A vast majority of men want to have kids. They want to be fathers. I get it. 
I might not be the person for you because scientifically speaking, I can't give you kids. We can adopt, you know, if it's, if it's that thing, but if you want your seed, <laughs> if you want my egg and your sperm to come together, that's not gonna happen. So I think about those things. I even think about casual sexual arrangements and how my body reacts to certain things. I want to say I did my podcast on my experience. Oh, no, I didn't do it here. Ooh, ooh, that was a Patreon one. <laughs> but I talked about um, my experience with a um, a pleasure practitioner, I will call him, and how that helped me reconnect with my sexual energy, my space of pleasure, physical pleasure, how I felt exalted. But I don't want to resign my sexual experiences just with, with a pleasure practitioner. Like I, I would love to be in a relationship. I genuinely would love to be in a relationship with someone. But I have to think about me being postmenopausal and how a lot of men shy away from lube. And whether you are postmenopausal or not, lube is helpful, particularly if you are someone with endometriosis, lube is going to help you. <laughs> it's going to help create more slip. It's going to help make things comfortable because being a person with endometriosis, you may dry your badge, may dry out quicker. Those are some things people don't tell you about. So having lube just makes sex more comfortable and better for you, the vulva owner. And a lot of men shy away from lube because they think that, well, you're supposed to get wet, so it should be wet. Yeah, but you don't get me wet enough. You get me wet for yourself. You get me wet just enough for you to kind of slide in and it don't even be a smooth slide in. It'd be a rocky road. <laughs> I know what it feels like when you slide in smooth and I know what it feels like when I'm not all the way wet and you're trying to slide in and you're just trying to pump <laughs> pump the moisture into <laughs> Jesus Christ just trying to pump the moisture into my vagina <laughs> gosh you know the more I be talking about shit like that I be like why do why do vulva owners fuck with men because my god <laughs> y'all really be doing a number on our bodies and not be giving a shit and I just, I want better for our interactions. <laughs> I just want better for all of us and our interactions. But, you know, you you learn the difference between when it's slippery and wet and when it's just, you know, dewy, <laughs> okay? And I think about that. I think about the mindset of men seeing my body as a conquest still right? Trying to discern between the maturity level of men and sex and how they view sex um, and their experiences and how they want to experience sex with, with women in, in particular. And I'm often nervous because we can talk all day, but it's not until we're in the moment and we get into that space, into that interaction, that I'm going to know whether you are who you say you are. And I don't want to be wasting no coochie points <laughs> if you're full of shit. Like, I don't want to do that. So I consider those things. 
and how I constantly have to advocate for myself and I constantly have to explain myself and that often becomes exhausting for me. So learning how to pleasure myself became my next thing that I learned how to do. The next way to reclaim my pussy power is to please myself. And I'm good at it. I do a really great job. But I can admit that while I please myself very well, I do miss the interactions of another body. I do want that intimacy, the touch, the experience, the shit talking, the breath, the moans in my ear, the heat from another human being. I miss those things. And I constantly wonder if me being stage four endo and postmenopausal, if those things subconsciously hinder me from experiencing the level of sex and pleasure with another human being the way that I desire to do. Ah, here I go with another vulnerable podcast episode. (laughs) But I, I want you to consider that. Those of you who are listening to this episode and who are watching this episode, I want you to consider that. I want you to consider the relationship that you have with the women. If, if, That is who you interact with, women, femmes, vulva owners. I want you to consider the relationship that you have with them. Are you ensuring that their pleasure is prioritized and not you just being concerned about your arousal? I want you to consider whether you are making them comfortable in sex. Is your sex comfortable? Is the coochie comfortable? (laughs) Because coochie got to be comfortable, right? If the coochie is not comfortable, it's not going to give you the things that you wanted to give. Because see, women, femmes, feminine spectrum persons, vulva owners, we can be nasty, air quotes. We can be that, but we got to be safe. And if you don't make coochie comfortable, then we're never going to be safe to give you the things that you want. And we are not going to be safe enough to express ourselves the way we want. Remember that ride ritual? I felt safe. I felt empowered. I focused on me. But not only did I focus on me, I focused on me and how I was administering pleasure. And I felt good. I felt empowered. I felt in control. Because I didn't worry about whether motherfuckers was going to give me some shit. I wanted them to see what it felt like. When someone prioritized how they felt. Because I felt good making those men moan. I felt good making their toes curl. I felt good having them hit them high octave moans. I felt good every time they gripped my waist and pushed me down a little further. I was empowered by that. But that was still me giving. (laughs) I wasn't worried about whether I came. That was me giving. And there's not a lot of men in particular who care 
they only care about themselves. So when you have these variables such as endometriosis and being postmenopausal, you think about the archetype of men that exists in the world right now. And that should give you pause. I often wonder if I'm just resigned to just pleasing myself. Is there ever going to be another motherfucker that could please me better than I could please myself? Aftercare, you know? <laughs> when, I, when I'm at the height of pleasure, I bring my body down. I massage myself and bring my body down, you know? I give my own self a wet cloth <laughs> on the cooch. I do that for me. So because I pour back into myself so well in a pleasure bowl, pleasure-filled, pleasure-centered space, another motherfucker's kind of competing with me. Like, I am your competition. You don't got to worry about another dude. It's me. Can you live up to me? How I treat and pleasure myself in sex. It's me. I'm the one. You gotta, you gotta out pleasure me. Yeah. I'm not gonna be talking about endometriosis all month of March, but I <laughs> I wanted to share that. That was on my mind. It's heavy on my mind. It's on my mind every every time, every month this year, but it's on my mind constantly. Me wanting to re-enter back into the dating game, even though there's pee in the dating pool. <laughs> but I know I have to create, magnetize, and manifest my own pool of people based on what I desire and what I want. And I want since I'm still dating men for now. <laughs> I want a man, wherever you are on the spectrum, I want a man to prioritize my pleasure. I want a man to care about how I feel. I want a man to make my coochie comfortable. I want a man to go beyond the stimuli, the stimulus of sex. I want a man to consider my feelings in sex. I want a man to communicate with me in and out of sex. I want a man to be honest about his intentions with me in regard to sex. And I want a man to be attentive to me during sex. I think that was episode, season one, episode five, where I said you can be anywhere while you're inside of me. Your mind can be anywhere. You can be in me and not in me. <laughs> you can be in me and not with me. You can be in another motherfucking dimension while your penis is inside of me. I need attention. I need attentiveness. I need presence. I need centeredness. I mean, if your penis is rose gold or rose quartz, I should say, that would be lovely. 
that would be helpful. <laughs> but if not, the least you can do is just be present and in the moment and care a lot, not a little bit. I need a lot of care and consideration because that's what I bring to the table because I do that for myself. So if you want to be a loving disposable, then those are the requirements. And I think all global owners should have similar requirements. They don't have to be the same as mine, but they should be similar. And men should have requirements too. Anywho, before I start to ramble. Thank you for tuning into the Say It With Sex podcast. I'm delighted that you've tapped in and chose to listen. Until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in to the Say It With Sex podcast, an audio experience of the Muses Lab. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with like minds. And if you're down for the get down, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss an episode.